third grade, about 1968. Cub Scouts troop meeting at my elementary school cafetorium in Clinton, Maryland. I was so excited that we were going to get to play our air banjos we had made using aluminum foil pie plates as we strummed and sang Swanee. When it came time for our pack performance, they took us out in the hallway to line up. I was the last in line. I was focused on getting the song right and singing out. As we made our way toward the door to go up on the stage, a woman stopped me and started rubbing something on my face. There had been no mention of this part to me or my parents. I asked her what she was doing. She said, hold still, that this was going to look so cute. I didn't know what was happening. As she finished rubbing my face... I looked up and noticed our school janitor had walked up behind her. I still to this day, 53 years later, remember the look in his eyes, the sadness and disappointment as he shook his head side to side. I liked our janitor and enjoyed the times I would talk to him in the hall at school. I knew the sadness and disappointment I saw in his eyes had to do with what the woman had done to me. As I filed onto the stage, I looked across the stage as the kids in front of me turned to face the audience. I was shocked. They had smeared our faces with black makeup. I was crushed and embarrassed. I could not sing and I definitely could not face the crowd. I remember I kept looking back off stage. You see, my janitor was black. I had never heard of Al Jolson or Blackface. I was an innocent eight-year-old kid. I still see the hurt in that man's face. I hate racism. As we contemplate all of the terrible things that are happening today in our culture, we see the outpouring of hate and of violence, all in the name of protest against racism. Yet, if you look deeper into many of the the organizations who claim to be anti-racism, they themselves, in fact, are very racist. Here's what I want to do. I want to lay out for you a real simple thing that each of us individually can do to combat racism. You see, what we've got to come to is to understand what racism is. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, he says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. What we've got to do is come to a knowledge of the truth that racism is a construct. It's an ideology. It's a thought process. It's a system that the individual constructs as a bastion as a 
wall as a, a fortress against the knowledge of God, against the knowledge of God within the construct of that fortress that a person builds in order to maintain their perspective on life, their desires in life, their actions, immoral as they may be, their hatred towards others, that in the end, what these things are, are constructs, are ideologies. And keep in mind, these ideologies can have a lot of power. Right now, there are organizations on the move who are garnering a lot of power through their bullying and their actions, causing people to come to a place to confess, I agree with this organization, out of fear that if the organization labels them as racist, that it will be the destruction of their livelihood, of their corporations, of their business, of their personal name. And so they come into alignment, really a modern-day form of gangsterism, of racketeering. So a lot of power. We will not see the elimination of these hate organizations who claim to be anti-racism by dealing with them in the same way in which they do business. Because the Apostle Paul said that's not the way that we get things done, that we don't appeal to armaments of flesh. We don't appeal to ideologies of human construct. What we do is we turn, and through the power of Almighty God, he says that we demolish these strongholds. Because you see, he goes on in that next verse, that next line, and he identifies what these strongholds are, these fortresses are, what these walls of resistance are. They are the arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And so in a, in a very picturesque way, he shows that this person who has developed this thought system, this line of thinking, this ideology, this life action plan, and they've constructed this wall of belief around them to leave God at the door, to leave God on the other side of this great wall of defense. But what the Apostle Paul says is we don't want to leave people in their sin. We don't want to leave people in their hate. We don't want to leave people in their racism because it destroys them. It destroys the people around them. It hurts people in the culture. It damages the minds of little children who are in a very formable age. Paul says, no, we want to take that wall completely down. But what is our purpose for demolishing the arguments, these constructs, and these proud and these arrogant belief systems that keep people secure in their belief? Why? Because we want them to come to a knowledge of the truth and to be saved. We want their lives to be changed. We want them to pass from darkness into light. We want them to pass from sadness and hate into love, care, and compassion. On one of the websites of an organization that claims to be for anti-racism, when you read their Who We Are About Us, it is filled with hateful, militant, racist, 
bigoted language, period. It's terrible. And to think that corporations are sending this organization millions and millions of dollars, when in fact that they are hate mongers. And they hate just about everybody in the culture because when you read whom they have problems with, it is everyone except for literally a very, very, very minute number of people in the population. And so against that backdrop, the Apostle Paul says, no, we don't want to leave them there. We don't want to leave them there to where they have rejected, like Paul says in the book of Romans, to where they have chosen not to retain God in their thinking. This is what he's referring to in a sense here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. They have ejected God from their minds, and they have constructed belief systems and life processes and patterns to keep God at bay, to keep God at the street. And yet God says, I'm not going to leave you in the street. I'm not going to leave you out there with your hateful mouth. I'm not going to leave you out there with your racism and your hate for 99.99% of the population. I'm tearing down the walls, and I'm calling you to salvation. My love for you is militant. It's militant enough that what did I do? What did God do? It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much God loves his creation. And even the hateful mouths that march in the streets, that destroy the buildings, that burn the police cars, that burn the precincts, that captivate city blocks and take control, all in the midst of an impotent government that is powerless to do anything about it. God says, no, I don't want to leave you there. I don't want to leave you in that type of lifestyle. Let me ask you something, friend. Monitor the people that live those types of lives. How do their lives turn out? Sad, alone, hate, anger, railing against God. The book of Revelation says that as God pours out his wrath on the ungodly, instead of them turning in repentance because he is making known in the book of Revelation in the very end times that he absolutely exists at that point in time, there will be no question that there is a God in heaven and he is a holy God and he calls those to account who do horrible, hateful, evil, satanic, wicked things. And against that backdrop, those whose hearts are hardened and they have ejected him to the point to where they will not repent, it says that they are going to rail against God. They're not going to rail against circumstances. They're not going to rail against some cosmic force, or as people today say, against the universe. They are going to rail specifically against the God who is here. Because the manifestation of his overt power is going to be so strong, it will be undeniable that the God of creation is doing this very thing to them. And you can read the book of Revelation for yourself to see all of the horrible things that await those who will not repent. And so, folks, what we're looking at are people that can construct some very, very powerful systems that keep them in their sin, that keep God at the street. But thank be to God in heaven that 
he loves us beyond measure. And that we, when we go and do stupid things, when we go and do evil things, his love just keeps coming. It just keeps punching. It just keeps calling. And so against that backdrop, what you and I must do is realize that when we come in contact with people who are full of hate, who are full of racism, who are full of bigotry, who are, who are full of this uh, hierarchical system in their minds to where some people have more value than others, that against that, what do we do? That we appeal to the spiritual weapons which God has given us to not just deal with these strongholds, but to demolish them. It means to flatten them, to lay them flat. How do we do it? And we appeal to the full armor of God in the book of Romans. You can check that out for yourself. Just Google the full armor of God. It'll give you all the, the armament pieces. I've talked about it in a previous podcast. So you see, it comes back to the same basic things. It comes back to making sure that we have the belt of truth fastened to our viscera, to our core, and that we communicate the truth without shame, that we have the breastplate of righteousness, that we ourselves choose and do right and make right actions that honor and glorify God so as to not draw attack against God's holy name. So the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the Bible talks about the shield of faith, that we believe against all belief that God will save people and that he will call them to repentance and that he will penetrate their, their thick, leathery heart and that fortress that they've constructed and pull it down so that they can hear the truth, come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. Throughout my podcast, you'll hear me say a lot about my dad who lived away from God for 78 years. I talked to him many, many, many times about the gospel. He would not listen. He had a construct. He had a way. That's where he stayed. But yet, at the very end of his life, God finally punched through the hole and salvation came flooding in. And thanks be to God that right now, my father, who passed away in 2010, that he's been spending all this time in the presence of God forever in heaven. We've got to take up that belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. Our salvation gives us the confidence to protect our brains when we come under mental assault. The helmet of salvation. To know that regardless of what we may endure as we reach out to people who are hateful, that nothing can take away our eternal life in Jesus Christ. The Bible also talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So when you have someone in your office that has a very hateful attitude, perhaps even a hateful attitude towards you as a Christian, that what do you do? You love them in Jesus' name, and you communicate to them, them the truth of God's Word, and it goes forth with power, and it does surgery on their hearts. God's word will not return void. It's going to produce fruit. Let me give you an encouragement in regards to that. Don't feel like you have to explain everything as you quote a scripture, scripture to someone or that you mention a passage of scripture. It goes forth with power, period. And so every moment that you can actually place the word of God in that person's mind, that God is doing his work. Also, you do not need to quote necessarily the chapter and verse of the scripture. Those are things that have been applied after the fact. They weren't in the original text. They're helpful, but they're not divine. It's something that we've done. So don't feel like you have to say, well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, just speak the word of God. It goes forth with power. 
the full armor of God talks about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that it is the message that we bear, that a gospel of peace, the good news message that God has come to bring peace that gives us the stability to stand in the midst of difficult times. And then above all, prayer. So we go to God with concerns about a a work associate, the concerns about a family member, the concerns about a neighbor, the concerns about a spouse who has racist, hateful tendencies. When we do that, we will see strongholds pulled down. Let me encourage you. I am living proof. You may have someone in your sphere of connection. You just have determined, man, they are gone. They are lost. They are irrecoverable that they have constructed such an impenetrable fortress, nothing is going to break it down. They are surely destined for hell. But I tell you, my friend, we can't let go. We can't stop believing. Don't become discouraged. Don't become weak. Have strength. Stand. Take your stand. Speak the word of God with confidence. The people that you work with, that you live next door to, that you talk to in the local cafe— They will say every outlandish thing without regard for anyone with great boldness. Dear friend, this is the time we need to rise up with great confidence and believe in the power of God and the spiritual power he has given us and take authority. Why don't we do this? Stand up. Take a stand. Speak God's word with boldness. Because we have lost confidence in the power of God's word to transform and God's ability to get the job done. So we shut our mouths. Let us renew our confidence in Christ and share his word with great compassion and boldness. God really does save hardened, wicked people, and he really can transform our cities if we'll only trust him. My prayer is that we will see God show up on the scene through the works and words of Christian people and dispel the darkness, tear down these strongholds, and our world will get on with loving each other in Jesus' name. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for myself. And with that, I bid you peace. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on today's podcast. I've been your host, Kenny Price. God, the world, and other things... Always our mission is advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Be sure to check out our show notes. You're going to find a lot of information there that can be of help to you, how you can contact us, find out more about our organization, find out how you can contribute and support this podcast. Also, I'm going to include some information about a book by a man named Carl Medeiros called Speaking of Jesus, The Art of Not Evangelism, written back in 2011, but very pertinent, has a lot to do with how to talk to people that are very difficult in reaching with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So check it out. You'll be encouraged. Get the copy of the book today. You can find it on Amazon and other book distributors. Have a great day.